0: Welcome back to another episode of That's Fried, the podcast. Brought to you by Fried Magazine and hosted by me, Annie McIntyre. Currently in Ireland, there is no legislation against stalking. Today I'm joined by Eve McDowell, a young Irish woman who fell victim to this horrible crime in 2019 when she was stalked and how she channeled this experience into starting the campaign Stalking Ireland, which aims to bring laws into Ireland against this. Welcome to the podcast, Eve. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Well, I suppose we'll just start from the beginning and your personal experience with stalking. It began in 2019. Would you mind like just telling us a bit about it? Like how how did it start? Um, well, technically it it kind of started back in
1: 2018, but wasn't really sure what was going on at the time. Never occurred to me for a second that it was about to get as serious as it was. Um, it did start to escalate and I started documenting it in 2019. So um, there was a guy, I had met him in college, we were in the same uh, college campus accommodation together. Now I didn't finish out my course but all my friends were still in college um, and you know, we had like a mutual friend of a mutual friend so Galway is pretty small, I'd see him now and again in the same social setting but never really had much one-on-one conversation. Um, Then I I was working at a clothes shop at the time as well, and he used to just come in and buy clothes from us a lot there. Uh, Then he went quite MIA for a while, didn't see much or hear from him. Um, There was kind of rumours going around that he fancied me and stuff like that. Um, And then, I don't know, I just remember coming out a little one day and seeing him looking over the wall at me and then running behind the the shop that was beside Little and I just thought right that's kind of strange and then you know the next day he showed up in the estate that was beside my estate and I was like right okay that's a bit weird what, what's he doing because I knew that he was living on the other side of the city and um, then I suppose he started walking past my work a lot and not actually coming in then there was one day that I noticed him outside the shop at like half nine that morning. Uh, then I you know, was texting a few people just before my lunch and then just let them know that he was like, you know, sitting outside the shop, like looking in. Then I went on my lunch and um, the place where I went to get lunch, I could see him out the window. He was kind of looking in as well. And then I went to eat my lunch in Air Square, seeing him there again. Then, you know, told a few more people, went back to work at about four o'clock. One of my friends called in and was like, here he's actually sitting on the bench outside looking into the shop. And the the bench is kind of like diagonal from the shop. So we couldn't actually directly see him um, at the time while I was working. And I was like, look, this is strange. This has been going on since this morning. Then after work, I went to a pub in Air Square with my friend and I was telling her about what had happened. And she goes, Look, there, he's actually over there. I had a couple of weeks later, I actually went to get the CCTV footage off of the pub owner. And they said, Look, we did notice him acting suspicious. And we asked him what he was doing here. And he said he was here with his girlfriend and he pointed over at you. But like when I seen that he was there, all he did was run away. You know, he didn't approach me, Uh, which makes you question it as well. When there's no, because a lot of time with stalkers, people get direct messages and they get like presents in the post. They'll have text messages phone calls I didn't have any of that so yeah. was really confused about what was going on
0: that's quite um sorry to interrupt but that's quite yeah. interesting that they would say in the the restaurant or was it a pub you said that they'd noticed him and he was acting suspicious like they like what was he doing that they like did they just have a feeling like this something's not right about this guy like what's he doing I think he had brought a sandwich in from like done stores
1: and was drinking a cup of coffee in there. And he wasn't sitting at a table. He was kind of crouched down behind a table, like looking over like this. Okay, that's so, Yeah, very kind of strange behavior. So then me and my friend moved to pubs um, and we met a few more friends. And I said, look, can we get a window seat just in case so I can keep an eye out? And you could see him walking up and down then outside this pub. This was like nearly twelve hours at this stage that he had been around. Wow. So then I went to McDonald's with two of my friends. After that, and I was kind of nerdy joking at this point. I was like, "Look, he's—I bet now any any money he'll just walk past," and he did seconds later. And that's when me and my friend went to confront him. And so we kind of chased him up Shop Street a bit, and then he went down a side alley. So I stayed at the top of the alley because I was a bit unsure of you know what he was, what his agenda was. And she found him crouched down behind a car. And she was like, what are you doing? Why are you following Eve? And he got up and he went like, shh. And he ran away laughing. And that's when I was like, he had a really distinctive beard. So I said to him at that point, you're not doing a great job at hiding. I can spot you a mile away with that beard. And then a few nights later, there was kind of nothing then. Actually, no, my friends walked me home. And on the way home, he showed up again. And we spent ages saying outside of the estate because I didn't want him to know exactly where my house was but little did I know at this stage he probably knew fine well exactly where I lived and um, I often say to people it's not just the times that I knew he was there that's scary it's the times that I didn't know about that terrifies me um, a couple of just a couple of days later um, I went out and in the morning went to visit my friend in the estate beside my estate I was walking back into the house at quarter past nine, and before this, we had never locked the front door during the day, always at night, but never during the day. But something about this day, I was like, right, just to be safe, I'm going to lock it. Then um, I went into the kitchen, put on the kettle, and I was coming out back out into the hall, and I seen a figure standing at the frosted glass beside the door, and the door handle tried to open. Oh. And I didn't recognize the figure, and I just thought that was kind of strange. But then the doorbell rang, so I thought, right, that must be a postman or something. So I got the keys from the radiator, which is right beside the door, opened the door, and there was no one there. And there's steps up to our doorway. So I was a bit confused about that. I just thought that was strange. So I closed the door, locked it, texted in the house group chat, and said, Guys, are you expecting anyone? And then my other housemate came down and she came into my room. And I was just explaining, Look, I actually think I'm being followed by this guy at the minute. And she started screaming and she pointed, um, he was below my bedroom window in the bushes and he had his beard shaved off, his eyebrows shaved off and his hair shaved off. Okay. So at that point I knew that you know he was extremely unpredictable, didn't know if he was willing to do that, what else he'd be willing to do. So called the guards then at that point um, and they said, look, we'll have a chat with him. Uh, but there's nothing we can really do because he hasn't really broken any laws or anything so I remember just feeling frustrated at that yeah. Um, and I was so creeped out now that he knew where I lived tried to get in and had shaved off all his hair to obviously I don't know disguise himself or something so I went home for about a week because I had been advised by the guards like you can't really walk anywhere on your own so I took a week off work because it's around exam time as well all my friends were students so needing a babysitter is difficult, like you don't want to have to you lose your independence completely. Either. Um so I didn't want to have to be relying on other people to get places. And um, then yeah, I was at home and then the day I came back I got one of the lads to clack me from the bus and walk me back to the house. And then my ex-boyfriend at the time came and clacked me and said, look, we'll go into town and get food. And I was like, right, can we take a completely different route into town just in case we bang into him? Um but we still actually seen him on the way into town. Um, my ex tried to reassure me, he was like, look, it was coincidence. The why guards have been in contact. Went into town, had food, was coming back into the estate. And then I spotted him again in the bushes of the house opposite my house. Um, my ex ran after him and told me to go inside and ring the guards. And I did. Eventually got through to them and they came. And at that point, then they took statements. Um, I remember just being terrified that night. Couldn't sleep at all kept thinking I could hear footsteps up and down the steps at the front mm-hmm. Um yeah like really just had a gut feeling something was going to happen Uh one of my housemates had forgot her bedroom key at her home house so she was sleeping on the couch and then you know I was awake all night at like 10 to 7 I got up to go to the bathroom because it was getting kind of bright at that stage like I was actually afraid to even go to the bathroom at this point but uh, when I did that woke her up and she was really warm. So she opened the balcony door just a little bit to get a bit of air in and as she was falling back asleep she heard the four boards creaking and she looked up and he was standing over her Um, he was trying to get out into the hall but he uh, realized she'd seen him then and she started screaming. I just remember hearing her screaming, oh my god it's him, get out, get out mm-hmm. and um, he then attacked her with the claw hammer, she managed to put her hands up and defend herself And then once the hammer fell out of his hands, I think he panicked then and he jumped off the balcony. Now the guards had um, later found him crawling up the road behind our estate and they also found a packet of Viagra and a knife at the bottom of the balcony. Oh
0: my God. I can't imagine how terrifying of an experience that must have been.
1: Oh, it was insane. It just didn't feel real. You just don't ever imagined that something like that could happen to you or even in Ireland I'd never heard of anything similar it was literally like something out of a the horror show
0: say that? I mean at the start you like I just feel like if I was you I'd be thinking this is really strange like you know it must be a coincidence you'd never think stalking because it's just like not a common thing so it must have been like really confusing for you I imagine like at the start
1: Yeah, it was very confusing because Galway's a small place, I did a bit of research online and just tried to find information about stalking and it all said that like ninety percent of stalkers are ex-partners, it's never really someone you don't know, there was no information, no supports and like I even asked the guards about getting a restraining order and you can't in Ireland unless you've been married to someone, which is ridiculous.
0: I didn't know that either.
1: Yeah, and that's when I found out that there is no law against stalking either, which I just, I know it was insane. Um, just the whole court system as well is, it's awful. It's not victim focused at all. I remember during COVID, his father was allowed into the courtroom, um, but my father wasn't. Just like weird little things like that. You know, I just feel like the victims aren't really looked after as much Um which is unfortunate, but you know, there's still a lot that needs to change with the law system. And when you don't have a background of law at all, like even the whole experience of his um solicitor, you know, questioning me and my character and trying to insinuate that maybe I did have a relationship with him and stuff like this, like that was all very and I didn't even know about the knife I knew about the knife, I didn't know about the Viagra until I actually went to the High Court in Dublin and it was right out there. Um I had never been told about those beforehand and they couldn't even be used as evidence because there was no fingerprints on them and he denied that they were his, even though, you know, um, yeah. I don't think there's any I coincidence.
0: Yeah, they're like, yeah. Yeah. So after, you know, that night and the guards came, what kind of happened after that? Like you kind of mentioned there, like the legal stuff. Was that when you started to realise this is so wrong? Like there's nothing, you know, solid against stalking in Ireland?
1: Yeah, like, I knew at that point, you know, it's wrong, but I suppose people kind of explained why there doesn't, you know, why they think there doesn't need to be a law and that this harassment all cover me and I will be protected. But I suppose the real turning point for me was when I heard about Una Ring's case, that other woman in Cork, because, yeah, that started happening just after... Uh, My stalker was sentenced and I mean like it was a year of in and out of court, things getting adjourned, like it's so emotionally draining having to go through the court system and it's funny, you should do a victim impact statement to inform the court like how it has impacted you Um, and I couldn't even read it out myself so it's mad that I'm now coming out so publicly about everything when before I wasn't even able to read that out to the courtroom during Covid times when there was barely any people there but yeah, when I heard about Una's story, there was a lot of similarities in it. You know, it wasn't an ex-partner. He trespassed onto her property. There was really bad intentions there. So I just really wanted to get in contact with her. Um, the Ryan Turberdy show had contacted me beforehand. I didn't I I just I didn't want to go on it at that time, but I still had the contact details for them and she had been on them. So they um they, you know, gave each other each other's numbers. Um we had a phone call and we both said by the end of the phone call, you know, like, there, it's ridiculous that there's no law. We would really love to do something to change that. But we didn't know where to start it at all. Um, it just kind of happened by chance. She told me about a service that the IPS, the Irish Prison Service, offer. So I should have been signed up to it as soon as it happens. It's kind of like a thing that would inform you if they have to go out of jail for a day. To go to the hospital or if their their approximate release date or if they're being moved to prisons all this little stuff that no one had told me about through the whole process so i rang the ips to set that up and you know i was kind of given off to them i suppose and they said look you know it's really difficult for us because of a gdpr we can't reach out to victims and offer this service um and you know it should have been offered to me somewhere along the line. And I, yeah, I was given off to them and the head of the IPS said, look, um, there's a woman doing a lot of victim advocacy. Her name's Ruth Maxwell. So I got in contact with her. She had been uh, attacked back in 2016 in Dublin on her way to work. And someone came up behind her and tried to slit her throat. Now she grabbed the knife off of him and managed to save herself. Um, and she's so strong. Like she's amazing. She's, devoted the last few years into helping other victims yeah. and stuff like that so um, I spoke with her and then yeah she put us in contact with the sexual violence center in Cork that have been the wind behind our wings for this entire campaign they've been amazing they set up the website they set up our social media accounts they've helped us with the petition and then we're in contact with the law reform commission as well uh, like even today a senator has sent on a draft bill that you know all the right wording and everything like that people have been fantastic like there's been so many people involved and wanting to help out people approaching us without us even having to approach them it's just really took off because i only actually got in contact with all of these people less than two months ago so um when you think about it a lot has happened kind of
0: escalated and i suppose like you you mentioned there kind of briefly about process that happened after um like the incident and you went to court and stuff and you mentioned a few of the things that were the most kind of striking for you about like the faults basically that are in the system um what were like what were the main things like if you were to kind of list them out i know i'm kind of putting you on the spot but like the main things that you were like this is completely wrong um i suppose
1: cases being adjourned i don't think the courts realize how Retraumatizing that can be for victims because it just even happened to go—it's so—it's so cold in there. It just completely lacks any sort of empathy. Um, he was across the room from me, like facing me, smiling at me. Um, the whole story being like read out again, and solicitors arguing over how things went down, and you're just hearing completely different versions of the story to what actually happened, and then for the judge to say we're actually going to adjourn this and then like even the fact that he reapplied for bail so many times as well and having to go into court i I do think there should be just a better system where victims sometimes it's weird it's a struggle because you really don't want to go but you also need to be there to understand what's going to happen Um, and there should be someone there to explain things you know apparently there is um services where you can apply to get someone to go into court with you and explain things through to you there's a complete gray area gray area though where like i didn't know any of this at the time it's now that i'm doing research and the other victims are coming to me and the amount of messages i've received in the last week of other women and men that are being stalked it's obviously you know we're only the tip of the iceberg and we have a lot more work to do um but, you know, there is some services out there, but there's a lot of grey areas about how to access these services. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I just think that if a court case is adjourned that a victim shouldn't have to sit there again and have
0: to go through that all again yeah and even the fact like one thing you said there that really like I was shocked by is that when you went to the guards and said you know he's been following me around all day he's been outside my house and that their kind of reply was like we can't do anything like he hasn't done anything wrong like Mm -hmm. I assume that's one of a huge part of what you're trying to do is to make that wrong like by the law yeah
1: Yeah. Now, Una had a great experience with the guards. They were extremely helpful for her case. However, she was a lot more prepared going in and reporting it. So it is so important that like, you know, from the start of it, really what I should have been doing was creating an incident log. So anytime that I see him, note that down, write down what he was wearing, what date it was, the approximate time or whatever, because that can then be used as evidence. But you know, when I went into the guard station, when I was making my statements, I was like, to the guards, I was like, oh, well, there was one time in first year that I went into the city and he was behind me and I came out of the shop and he was there and then he followed me the whole way back to the accommodation and he used to show up to like my friends' houses when I was there. But because I didn't have dates or times for any of that, yeah, that doesn't actually count as evidence, you know, it doesn't get recorded in the court because it's technically hearsay, so it doesn't, yeah, it just doesn't. Count basically um just being organized i suppose would definitely help people now there is some guards that can be fantastic from the get-go um but then there's other i do feel like there's still a lot of guards that don't understand um that when you are that distressed you might not have the organizational skills to have all these things ready especially when there's very little support online and stuff but That's what we hope our website will help people to do.
0: Yeah. And have you, you mentioned you've gotten like a lot of messages and stuff from people. Have you like, are there any statistics or have you any idea of how many people actually are stopped in Ireland every year? Like how big of a problem this actually is?
1: Well, there is, there is no statistics. It's so we're working on a survey in the background at the moment. That was one of our first projects. Number one was to get the um, website up there because our main goal is always to help other victims. But um, we then realised that the law needs to be in place in order to help other victims as well, in order to keep them safe. So survey was supposed to be our kind of second thing and we did a draft one and I've had like Dr. Kira Staunton from UCC, she's a criminology expert. She's been helping me with that as well. Um, And we're hoping then to get that out maybe in September or something um, to as many people as possible to try and gather statistics. Because a lot of people are stalked and don't necessarily realize that they are being stalked. They um, might just put it down to, ah, he's just, whatever. He's just interested in me and is yeah. coming around to say hello and stuff. And I think as Irish people, we do tend to minimize things as well. Um, I suppose I had a lot of friends at the time that were trying to comfort me by saying, ah, don't worry, he's only harmless. And what that actually does is minimizes... What's going on? And people don't do that out of badness.
0: That's just yeah. It's just because because, like it's not common. So you're like, oh, there's no way it could be something like that.
1: That's it. Yeah, but but it is way more common than I even realized two weeks ago. Like just this week, I've gotten my email address set up um for my stalking Ireland page, and the amount of emails, the Instagram messages that are coming through, it's actually. I just was so shocked. Yeah. And really concerned about how many people have gone through this and are still going through this. And it's not just women either. There has been quite a few men as well. Um, which shows that it's a problem that affects a lot of people.
0: And I read like your stalker, he was only about was it twenty one or something, quite close in age. I don't know yeah. why I found that like so shocking that it could be someone who's like the same age as us. Like you would just never think that that would be a possibility.
1: Yeah, never. That's Again, that's why I didn't really understand what was happening to me because it just didn't fit in any of the boxes that I had,
0: like, knew Stalking to be. Yeah, and I mean, like, just even trying to understand how could, you know like we'll assume like a regular 21 year old guy like go from that to becoming a stalker like it was any like was there like a psychological evaluation and stuff done like yeah he was seen by three psychologists
1: and i was expecting them to come back with you know a very obvious result but two of them said that they couldn't find anything and just um there was a what was it i don't know basically the third one then said that he just didn't have the ability to feel empathy okay um which is interesting. Yeah. it's kind of. I like definitely thought there would have been something bigger there. Um, but it leaves you more confused than before. Yeah. And he was, as a lot of the articles said, he had like over 500 points in his leaving search. He was an engineering student. um, He was always top of the class. But there were people that went to college with him that kind of would have said to me, oh, when he was studying for exams and stuff, he'd just sit there and or when he was doing exams apparently the last exams he was doing he just like wasn't filling in the papers and would like leave and go outside and do a lap around the engineering building and stuff like this but at the same time you have to take everything that people tell you tells you with a pinch of salt because i've heard yeah. people telling me that they had spotted him that they he had escaped and all of this stuff which seems so irrational now but when you're in that state of trauma and when something so unimaginable has happened to you, you will actually believe nearly anything.
0: And a big part of, you know, stalking Ireland, what you're campaigning for is like longer and more fair um, prison sentencings. Do you want to talk, tell us a little bit about, you know, the prison sentencing in your case and. Mm.
1: What so else? that I always found difficult to grasp even myself. So he's, he had two senten- two consecutive sentences, one five years, and the other one was seven years, two suspended. But to summarise it, he has been in custody since the twenty seventh of May, twenty nineteen, and his approximate release date is the twenty third of March, twenty twenty three, which is less than two years from now.
0: Yeah. Okay. Which seems. So what is the like- logic there? Like what's... It's just
1: oh, it's so infuriating. It's so you know, and people. And when I came out of the courtroom I was even more shook by the amount of reporters and stuff that came up to me and they were like oh that was a great sentence he got you must be delighted and I was like is it you know because I really don't know what the next step is when he gets out I don't because he didn't show any remorse um or he wasn't apologetic at all throughout the whole trial he was smirking at me from across the room so I I don't think he's sorry I don't think that Anything would stop him at this point. Um, Part of me was worried. I was like, God, maybe if he went somewhere and was rehabilitated, he'd be better off than you know going to prison. Can affect people worse and then you start doing like research into it and you can drive yourself dementia thinking of it but I've tried to put it to the back of my mind for now I'm like right okay that's a future problem but at the same time I always wonder about like oh god when I have kids what if he comes after me when I have the kids and I have to protect them as well as myself and yeah there's um there's I have a five-year no contact order so if only he gets out he won't be able to contact me for five years and if he is in breach of that then I think there's grounds for him to go back into custody so um at least there's that but a lifelong no contact order would have been yeah would have it just been better
0: tap, like for it to be reduced to essentially two years and then only five year no contact it just seems like kind of just a tap on the wrist like as yeah a, what it should be um mm-hmm. did it affect his sentencing that he did have like a hammer like a weapon on him um, um so it was
1: aggravated burglary because he had the hammer, um as I was saying, the knife and the Viagra weren't taken into consideration, okay. but yeah. um, I know myself there was at least intent to rape there if there was Viagra and possibly kill if with the knife and everything as well um just everything's so technical with the law, yeah which can be re that you know i just I just assumed that he'd get longer
0: yeah, I yeah. Or yeah, I imagine like for you like that it must be very difficult even now to like discuss this like you're so strong for doing like what you're doing like a cam- this campaign it's gonna help so many Thanks. people um, yeah yeah like how did you cope afterwards like was it like did you have to go for like counselling and stuff like was this oh yeah
1: I'm still in counselling I'm still in counselling now and I've had you know I have some great friends that Have been very understanding of it, but it's just the PTSD was unimaginable. Didn't realize that the it's weird because I think I had suppressed a lot of it. There was like initial PTSD, which was really bad. I was waking up every night a couple of times with really bad nightmares and stuff. And when you have those nightmares, your whole body experiences that fight or flight and like reaction as well. Um, And you'd be awake for hours and just was too scared to even go into the bathroom and shower on my own for the first few weeks or months even. Um, It's it's insane the toll that it takes on you. And like one thing that Una says a lot as well is that she still sees her stalker everywhere and I do as well. I'll see someone that looks like him and I'll kind of get that panic. Um, I'm much better controlling it now, but it still does happen. I feel like it'll always be there with me. It's not something that goes away. You just learn how to manage it better. But when I did start out all of this it did re-trigger me a little bit as well but um this time in my head I knew that it wasn't actually happening again but just my body was still reacting as if it was so I was still waking up with nightmares and I wouldn't be as panicked in my head I'd be like right okay that that was just a nightmare I'll try to go back to sleep now but I'd still have the pure adrenaline rush and it's strange but I think it's been very healing at the same time doing all of this and just having such a positive reaction and so much support from all angles um yeah just it would be absolutely amazing to get this into legislation
0: no, i think like it is obviously it's a terrible thing that happened to you but it's amazing that you're able to turn such a terrible situation into something so positive for so many people like and to really make a difference um So like, what is, we've kind of, we've discussed it already, but stalking Ireland, like what are, you know, if you had to sum it up um, in bullet points of exactly what you're aiming to do, what is this campaign about?
1: So we're aiming to support other victims and their families or loved ones or friends by offering advice on what stalking is, the different types of stalking, the different types of stalkers, what to do if you think you're being stalked. Um, a big one for me is what to say or what not to say more importantly to people that are being stuck because, as I was saying, people don't necessarily mean to minimise things, but they actually can a lot of the times. Um, A lot of victim I experienced so much victim blaming as well. Like, were you too nice to him? Um, Why, you know, why didn't you call the guard sooner? All these kind of things that can actually be really it makes you feel guilty um you know but i just think it's a lack of education around that um obviously to get the legislation brought in that's one of our main goals as well and down the line you know we'd love to maybe do some training in colleges or even schools um i'd love to, you know scotland have just set up an action against stalking center be amazing if down the line that we could get that because as i was saying me and you know we're just the tip of the iceberg i think this is a much bigger issue than people realize and i want to be able to support every victim and you know give them the help that i didn't have
0: definitely and i mean for people who are listening to this podcast if they are wondering if they if they fear they're being stalked what would be kind of the telltale signs what would be your things that you think they should look out for
1: Um, so running into them, um, or seeing them following you a lot, um, definitely, definitely write down an incident log, even on your notes and your phone, just for times that you think you might even run in, be running into them a lot. That's, that was for me, one of the first signs, or then you have the flip side of it in Una's case where she was getting a lot of text messages. So, um, I know people might want to block them. If they're getting a lot of text messaging, but making sure that they take screenshots and have that evidence beforehand. Um, you know, there's Una's property was damaged. Um, some victims receive like presents in the post, anonymous letters, stuff like that. There is a lot of different types of stalkers and stalking, nearly. Um, so depending on the situation, there can be different telltale signs, but Things like threats and them very obviously following you are obviously the the most, yeah, the most, most prioritised them. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Eve. This has been so informative and I really think that it's going to make such a difference to the people of Ireland. Um, is there anything you'd like to add before we finish?
1: No, I think that's everything. Just um, thanks for having me. And if I could just urge people to sign our petition, it's on www.stalking.ie we're also having a webinar on the 6th of May which is free we'll have some talkers at that as well as myself and Una and um, we're on Twitter and we are on Instagram as stalking underscore IE as well if anyone's interested in Perfect and we'll share the
0: petition link and the webinar link across our platforms as well so everyone listening (laughs) make sure you sign Thanks Thanks so much Thank you for listening to another episode of That's Fried If you enjoyed this episode be sure to share with friends and family and tag us on social media magazine with no spaces and two eyes on Instagram. Be sure to give us a follow